Welcome to the Equip and Ignite podcast, powered by Bill Glass Ministries. Since 1969, God has used Bill Glass Ministries to impact people from all walks of life with the gospel. Whether through evangelism training, at a citywide crusade or prison evangelism event, or just in daily life, God has connected so many people together through this ministry and the power of the good news. While just a scratch of the surface, these are some of those stories. After listening to each episode, we hope you feel encouraged, equipped, and ignited. Welcome to the Equip and Ignite podcast, powered by Bill Glass Ministries. I'm Kit Van Arsdale. Today with me is George Rennix, one of our local team members in the Oklahoma City area. Uh, I have known George for a few years now. I've been involved in ministry with him as a regional director. And one of the things that, that I'm sure you all know is that when you, when you deal with people uh, in, in specific, specific areas, uh, you may not have a whole lot of time to sit down and get their stories. And uh, this is one of those situations where I'm, I'm really happy to be talking to George because I didn't know he had an incredible testimony like he does. So just y'all welcome to the uh, podcast, George Rennix. George, thanks for being with us. Thank you. I appreciate it. So, George, give us a little thumbnail bio. Who is George Rennix? Well, I was raised in the Chicago area uh, where I spent the first 25 years. Uh, I had 30 jobs before I was 25, so I wasn't real stable. Um, I got married, moved to Florida to manage a fast food restaurant. Two years later, I took an executive position with the national office. Three years later, um, I moved back to the north to open a company that was a, a franchise of the company that I was had been with at the national office. Fifteen years later, uh, we sold that company, and I went into full-time ministry as the executive director for the Christian Businessmen's Committee. That's a ministry that deals with men in the marketplace, evangelism, mentoring, counsel. Twelve years later, uh, I took a similar position in Oklahoma City, and I did that for six more years until God took me out of that to be a corporate chaplain, which I have been doing now for 16 years. Uh, married to Suzanne, we've been married 35 years as of last week, two adopted children, two children from my first marriage, and we have eight grandchildren. So that your your bio doesn't really sound all that exciting. So where no. where's the excitement from the, the, that I've been uh, hearing? Yeah. Uh, growing up in Chicago, North Side, I began as a two year old running away from home. I announced that to my parents. They gave me a small suitcase and said adios, and uh, opened the door and ushered me out. I got to the end of the sidewalk. It was dark. I didn't know which way to go. I didn't know what in the world I was doing. And I thought, this is not, this is not a good idea right now. However, I didn't learn my lesson. I ran away from home six more times. And in one of those runaways, when I was 15, I took the family car, uh, locked my mother and sister in a room and stole the money from my mom's purse and got out about 500 miles, not having a clue 
where I was going or what I was doing other than running away. And I was uh, apprehended by the police, put me in a woman's cell, one room cell, and uh, went out to patrol the town, small town. Well, I won't necessarily tell you how I did it, but I escaped from that jail cell and people in this small town, of course, leave the keys in their car. They wouldn't think a jerk like me would be around stealing their car, which I did. And got out about 20 miles and thought, um, you know, I was just a runaway. Now I've I've escaped from jail. I've stolen the car. I think I'm going to go back and, you know, face <laughs> the music, which I did. And we got that cleared up. But it didn't stop my activities uh, that were illegal. I started... Uh, Actually, I started drinking as soon as I could pop the tops off the beer cans or beer bottles uh, for my dad, who was a full-blown alcoholic. And uh, so I, I drank on the way to delivering the bottle. So I got, a, I got a taste for beer. And at 15, I jumped in with both feet and continued to drink heavily till I was 30. For some reason, I, I'm not wired to be... Uh, addicted. I just don't have that wiring. I certainly tried. I was started smoking in third grade and uh, smoked for 23 more years. I began fighting in second grade, uh, girls and boys. What would set me off was Georgie Porgy putting pie, uh. you know, so I'd go after him. And uh, that continued through grade school, high school, not so much with friends, but on the athletic field. Of course, then into college, where I had an opportunity to play football, I fought on the football field uh, several times. Bench emptying, emptying, emptying uh, kind of deal. Um, I was certainly in the bar scene and began fighting in bars. Uh, big guys. I didn't go there to fight. I was a happy drunk. It just tripped my mind. Something would happen and I'd get involved. Um, I then, after college, went into the Army, proceeded to be AWOL several times, just late. I didn't, you know, I wasn't running away, uh, as my MO would indicate, but no, I was just late getting back. One of these times, uh, the situation was such that they sent the FBI to arrest me. That took 28 days to uh, get that situation resolved. I was under house arrest in a, at a uh, fort where I had originally gone through my basic training. So anyway, that was uh, another uh, episode. Uh, my roommate and I got involved with the mafia. We owed them some money for a particular situation and we didn't pay them. We thought, well, you know, they won't bother with this. It's not that significant amount of money. Well, it wasn't the money. It was the principle. So we began our go-between with regards to the money told us that they were showing up at his barbershop asking for us. And he said, I don't know how long I can keep this up. Anyway, we finally determined uh, when my roommate was in the barber chair and the 
bag man came in looking for the money and standing over my my roommate asking for his name, which he didn't realize who was the guy, one of the guys. We determined to get some blank checks and just hope for the best. You know, we were carrying guns, had a loaded shotgun by my bed. We were uh, we were a bit paranoid. During the course of all of this growing up, um, I also had road rage, which kind of followed my temper. And it wasn't just yelling. It was curbing cars, pulling them out, striking them. And even after I was a Christian, uh, I had three more situations before God finally got a hold of me and said, this is crazy. You know, mm. I probably have driven drunk several hundred times, never thinking about the consequences, living on the edge. So that's that kind of uh, is kind of a little bit over the top. There's there's more, but uh, some of it I've never told anybody. And I'm not going to, I'm not going to tell you either. Uh, (laughs) That's okay. (laughs) I mean, the statutes of limitations have written, have run out. Was there, what was the final straw when you decided this can't be how it's supposed to be? When, when was the the come to Jesus moment for you? Um, I was raised in the church and even in college, we secured a home to rent off campus so that we could party, carouse. But come Sunday, these are all guys I graduated high school with. We all went to church, our respective church. I mean, it was just kind of what we did in that small town where we grew up. We moved to, I got married, and we moved to Florida, take over this position. We, We had one child at the time. The idea, of course, was to find a church where we could raise our children. And we looked around different churches and all these old people and it kind of dead. And one day we passed a church, former grade school, one level. And uh, but people were waiting out in line to get into this place. And it happened to be the denomination that we were that we grew up with and and we're searching for couldn't think of going to another denomination and uh so we said well let's go back next week so we did greeter at the door recognized or didn't recognize us as someone you know who'd come before so he asked us are you are you new we said yeah oh wonderful and they put two boutonnieres on us well these white boutonnieres were like a big target Everybody in the church, I think, came up to us and welcomed us. Well, that felt good. So we went back. Well, after about maybe uh, the second time, three guys from the church showed up at our door. And they said, could we come in and talk to you about the church, different activities and so on? Well, we said, sure, come on in. They did that, good information. But at the end of their dialogue, uh, one of them said, could I ask you a personal question? I said, well, sure. I thought, yeah, what could he ask me? You know, I mean, he didn't know me. He said, are you going to heaven when you die? This was Coral Ridge Presbyterian Church, world famous. Mm-hmm. Dr. James Kennedy mm-hmm. meant zero to us. We knew nothing about any of that. But this was their EE program, Evangelism Explosion program. And so my response was, I think so. He said, why do you think so? I said, well, 
you know, God is this great judge in the sky and he determines who gets in, who doesn't. Kind of like the judges down here. If you have some good evidence, uh, you get off or your sentence is reduced. I think in the weight of the scales, I'm, I'm on the good side. And he said, that has nothing at all to do with getting into heaven. I said, have I been working on the wrong deal all these 30 or 29 years? He said, apparently so. So he shared the gospel with me. He said, would you like to pray after me? I said, well, sure. I, I want to go to heaven. And, and, and I wanted to live a prosperous life down here. So I did that. If he had come back three months later and said, George, uh, you, you shared your, your life with me and you know your uh, trouble you were in. And you said you were cleaned up quite a bit, but you still had road rage. Uh, you were still getting drunk on the weekends, uh, occasionally with the guys. And you still had this filthy mouth, but not around the family. So, you, you know, you, you, you were moving ahead. How are you doing on those three things? I said, was I supposed to change? He said, yeah. God says, I will work in you, both the will and to do of my good pleasure. You'll know you're different. You'll know you changed it. He didn't show up three months later. And we just went on with our life. I was up in the Chicago area visiting my parents. I was doing a deal in South Bend. So I went up for the weekend and, of course, went to church with them. This was a new church. For me, they had changed churches, like a small, looked like a small Baptist church, 300, 400 people. At the end of the message, which I enjoyed, the pastor gave the gospel message again and said, anyone would like to uh, make that commitment, I'd like you to stand up right now. Well, I'm basically shy. I'm not thinking of me at all. I mean, I did the deal six months ago, so I'm good to go, I thought. I was embarrassed to be there that someone might stand up. I, I was embarrassed for them, and I couldn't get out of there. And then the greatest move of the Holy Spirit, all of a sudden I'm standing. I would never have done that. You could put a gun up my nose, and I wouldn't have done that on my own. The next thing that happened, I exploded in tears. I'd only cried twice in my life, once when I was 10, once when I was 15. They were flying out of my eyes. I could see them. They were jumping. And I was changed before I sat down. I knew I was different. And the next day when I went back to the this company that I was helping for the second week to get up to speed, I was telling everybody, I got to tell you what happened to me yesterday. You know, all I had was all the junk in my life. And then this one day didn't matter. I just had to tell people. That was 19, uh, that was January 28th, 1973. Wow. And I, I never get over it, nor do I want to. So then uh, you've told me that you've been involved in, in a prison fellowship before you got involved in, in Bill Glass. How did you get involved with uh, prison, prison fellowship? You know, I, I don't have a clue. <laughs> <laughs> I think I learned about Bill Glass through the Colson ministry because he was involved uh, with Bill Glass. He was. And so that just kind of led me to try Bill and see how that, that worked. With Chuck Colson, we would go into a prison and we'd go into the chaplain, uh, I'm sorry, to the, uh, the chapel, chapel mm -hmm. to the chapel. And they would bring uh, Christians in, professing Christians, and break them into groups 
and we would give them a Bible study. There was no evangelism as far as we were involved in that particular setting. Getting involved with Bill Glass was was really an eye-opener as to you know, something very, very different than what Chuck was doing at the time. You, you told me that in September of 78 was your first Bill Glass event. Is that correct? Correct. Right. And it was in where, Anamosa, Iowa? Anamosa, Iowa. We were in two prisons. I was not in the prison where an event hit. The other prison, an inmate during a lunch program, if you're not a program, but where they had lunch in this big banquet hall, about half a dozen inmates jumped up and stabbed this guy repeatedly and then dropped their shivs and laid down. Of course, the guards immediately hustled us out and put the prison in a lockdown. Typically, you'd think that they would end our activity in that uh, prison, but that wasn't the case. They allowed the counselors there to go cell by cell, and they put uh, one of our team on the intercom that went throughout the prison uh, to pray over this inmate. Uh, A friend of mine who had his own prison ministry, Nick Perovalos, a gangster out of uh, Detroit, former gangster, went to this inmate immediately and began praying over him. It's strange that the, now that I think about it, that the, the guards didn't hustle him out. They let him continue praying over this uh, man who apparently Nick told me was just white as a sheet as the blood was running out of him. And yet through laying on of hands and praying over him, he said the color came back into this inmate. Just a, you know, one of many miracles we, we see in prison ministry. When I left that institution, when I was walking out, thinking of the men that I had uh, had an opportunity to pour into that prayed with me, I just wept. And uh, I knew that this is what I wanted to do. There was no doubt in my mind that I would be continuing to do this, which I have to this day. It taught me more about sharing my faith than any other exposure I'd ever had. So that's really the selling point for the ministry, isn't it? That we yeah. get these, we, we get trained and then we get these opportunities to go do it. Just, just seeing your reaction, the emotion that you have, even talking about something that happened 43 years ago. Um, I don't know about you, but it's every event for me. Yeah. Every event I get choked up thinking about that God allows us to be a part of that. Yeah. So if you're if you run into a, a fellow Christian and uh, the opportunity comes up for you to present Bill Glass, what what do you tell somebody? Why should that person come on a on a Bill Glass event? Well, oftentimes I will say to him or her, "Have you had an opportunity to lead many people to Christ in your life? Have you have you ever been trained to to do that? Do they teach that at at your uh, church that you're attending and?" universally it's no i said that's and not to put them down i said that's that's pretty common god has directed us to share our faith not to just keep it to ourselves but to share it and i'm involved with the organization that teaches us how to do that in a very unusual setting it's going into prisons and jails it may sound to you like fearful experience you know dangerous Sometimes I've said to them, not the women, but the men, 
I said, you know, these guys could kill us anytime they wanted to. <laughs> That's definitely an encouragement. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> I said, but we've never had in all these years, never had a situation that would anywhere near come close to endangering one of our counselors. Mm-hmm. I said, God goes before us and protects us, equips us. As a matter of fact, I remember going into a, a dorm with 300 men. I was the only guy and uh, only counselor. And it was a rectangular uh, dorm. So I'm at the front end talking to about four inmates that circled around me. And all of a sudden, one of these inmates bolted from the group and ran the full distance because there was a fight at the other end. And he knocked these two guys out. Uh, I said, and these other inmates closed in on me to protect me. And I said, uh, what's going on here? And one of the inmates said, he's one of two enforcers in here. He said, when something happens like this, he's got to take care of business right away. Because if he doesn't, the guards come in and a lot of us could get hurt. Just really uh, spoke to me about these inmates, though they've done sometimes very terrible things, um, recognize that we're coming in uh, as friends. We're coming in. We don't have to be there. And yet we've left our home and our family and our work for their sake. They are, they are most eager to hear. I mean, it's so rare that an inmate will walk away. I had it once that I can remember um, in a prison. I was, it was in the morning and every inmate I talked to, I was praying with. And so I see these two guys on a uh, park bench and I'm about 20 feet from them. It's time to go to lunch, but I'm not going to lunch. I said, I'm, this is, this is, I mean, look at all these notches I've got on my belt, so to speak. So I say to these guys, hey, can I talk to you a second? And they glared at me and said, get away from us. And as I was walking away from them, God spoke into me and said, you know, I, I don't have to use you, but I want to use you. But not when you take credit for what I'm doing. And um, so that's the only fear going in that I have to remind myself of. You know, I, I tell them there's, there's training. You're not going to go in there unequipped. You're going to get trained up how to talk to these men, women. And God will be speaking through you as you just open your mouth and walk up. They're not going to run up. Christians will run up to you. The others, you're going to need to walk up to them and shake their hand. Tell them why you're, why you're there. You don't give them the gospel the moment you, you walk up to them, but you got to get to it pretty quick because there's so many there. You don't want to give them the bums rush either. Um, and sometimes we're talking to 15 circled up. Sometimes it's just one-on-one, but that's how God orchestrates it. You just go with the flow, which is the Holy Spirit. Well, George, thanks so much for spending some time with me and, and uh, what an incredible testimony. And it, it's always amazing to hear how God works. And he can take anything and anyone and, and use them for his glory. And uh, I love to see the emotion because I'm the same way. I'm crying right now, thinking about just all the opportunities that God allows us to be a part of. So uh, thanks for coming on again. 
You're welcome. Thank you to George Rennicks for being a part of our podcast today. Uh, what an incredible, incredible story. What an incredible testimony he has. And, and to know that that's really not that unusual, that everybody has a story and that God can use anyone he wants to. If we will just give our lives to, to Christ and, and, and live a life that honors and glorifies him. If you want more information about our ministry, go to BehindTheWalls.com. Find information as well as a calendar of events that are coming up. Also, you can find us on several social media platforms, including Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, and Twitter. And we look forward to seeing all of y'all very soon. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Equip and Ignite podcast, powered by Bill Glass Ministries. We hope that you've been encouraged by another story of God working in an amazing way. Our desire is that you walk away from each and every episode empowered to allow the Holy Spirit to use you for His glory as you work out your faith every day. If you're interested in learning more, getting involved, or supporting Bill Glass Ministries, check out our website at BehindTheWalls.com. You can also find us on Facebook at Bill Glass Behind the Walls and Instagram at BGDTW. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time on the Equip and Ignite podcast, powered by Bill Glass Ministries.